Welcome to Teledyne Advanced Chemistry Systems Tech Talk Podcast. Our goal is to bring you useful information and offer solutions for your applications and analytical needs. Teledyne Advanced Chemistry Systems represents a group of companies existing of Teledyne Techmar, Teledyne SeaTech, Teledyne Lehman Lab, and Teledyne Hastings. Welcome back to the Tax Talk podcast. Today we'll be discussing EPA Method 8260. This episode is primarily useful for mid-level lab techs or analysts who are interested in a brief introduction to the method or use the method in their career but do not know what's going on under the surface. Our guest speaker today is Jeremiah Bradley. Jeremiah is currently an applications chemist with Teledyne Techmar and he has been working here for a few years. Welcome, Jeremiah. Hi, Bessie. How are you doing today? Great, thanks. So why don't we start off by telling our audience what EPA Method 8260 is? Yeah, so EPA uh, Method 8260 is an EPA method used to determine volatile organic compounds in a variety of solid waste and water matrices. This theory is commonly used in like environmental laboratories to monitor and target compounds within related matrices. So in this podcast, I'll take some time to briefly discuss the methods and the QC requirements, why they're important, the equipment's involved, and the difference and similarities between CND and some of my personal observations as well. Sounds great. Okay, so what laboratory equipment and technique are used in this EPA method? So um, 8260 includes a variety of uh, preparation techniques for sample introduction, but the most common ones involved are Persian trap. These methods are known as EPA methods 5030 for aqueous samples and 5035 for solid and waste oil samples. Here at Teledyne, we manufacture a Persian trap auto sampler that is capable of both liquid sample preparation via 5030 and sample uh, for solid preparation for like 5035. For the aqueous samples, a small output, let's say like five milliliters, is delivered to a sparger and purged by the inert gas. The quality of the control samples, standards, and blanks are all handled under the same condition and temperatures. For the solid samples, method 5035 handles the sample differently that in that the sample and the surrogates are purged in a valve rather than a sparger to create that closed system process. For higher concentration, those with a volatile organic compound greater than like 200 micrograms or kilograms or 200 ppb, the sample can be handled similarly to 5030 process methods, but the sample must first be mixed in a water submissible salt organic solvent such as methanol. Then an aliquot of that solvent is removed from the valve and delivered to a sparter to be purged via method 5030. This method is also known as methanol extraction. You are welcome to use or look at like a section 2.2 of method 5035, or you can look on our website. Um, and see one of our webinars on methanol extraction for clarity. As for the equipment, a Persian trap concentrator and a GC for short for gas chromatogram works in tantrum where the Persian trap is a concentrator and the GC separates the concentrated VOCs before they're delivered to the mass spectrometer uh, detector for analysis. This way they work together in simple First, the sample is collected and sealed and stored using a 40 milliliter VOA valve. The sample is later purged with an inert gas, causing the VOCs to be swept out of the sample matrix and retained onto an analytical trap that contains the sorbents unique to the method, such as 10x. 
The trap is then heated and the VOCs are swept out to the GC by back flushing the trap with the GC carrier gas onto the column. The column separates the compounds as they are carried to the mass spec detector for analysis. Okay, that's interesting. So what would be the differences now between 8260 revision C and D? Well, one of the first noticeable difference in the revision from C to D is the incorporated guidance for the use of hydrogen as a carrier gas. Starting with like the BFB tune, the target mass irons are updated to include 95, 96, um, 173, all the way through 177. Due to hydrogenation though, the tune passing criteria were broadened. When comparing the two methods, you will likely notice the expansion of mass ion 96 relative abundance from 5% to 15% of the base ion 95. The reference mass for the ion 95 is now 174. In addition, the target mass ion 50 and 75 are no longer used as a reference criteria within the updated version. And furthermore, the two update frequency has gone from once every 12 hours to prior to initial calibration. So per each method, the criteria has been adjusted to allow the care gas to pass tune criteria within like a reasonable range. And I have some real world examples available for review in my webinar. You can find it by searching for Teledyne Techmark parent EPA methods 8260 CND on either the YouTube channel or on our website as well. So the GC mass spec may exhibit different behaviors when using hydrogen as a carrier gas, as hydrogen viscosity is more broadly stable across a wide range of flow race viscosities, allowing for that greater separation of efficiency under a wider range of conditions than helium. However, though, because of its more reactive nature, hydrogen can alter the injector, the column phase, and the detector operation. For the injector reactive surface, preventative maintenance can help reduce transformation. And as for the chromatography, well, it's worth noting that the flow rate can impact the pH. The method author recommends the use of a narrow bore column from 0.18 millimeters or inner diameter or smaller, and the reduction and the flow rate to reduce the pressure in the source and prevent chemical ionization in the hydrogen environment. We can appreciate the extended behavior of Van Deerter curve here as well when desorbing with hydrogen at is less expensive than helium, which today is considered a non-renewable resource. Meanwhile, hydrogen generators eliminate the need to handle tanks. Overall, 8260D method QC is really achievable. So I just wanted to comment, you mentioned your webinar, um on 8260 C&D, we will be sure to link that in the podcast description under the link section. Just want to make sure everybody is aware of that. Um, so can you walk me through some of the, the terminology and QC requirements involved in the method? Yes, and with that, I'd like to discuss some of the significance of the QC requirements. So the QC requirements include calibration models and verification requirements. There are three calibration models, relative response factor, linear, and quadratic regression models. The method primarily requires the use of relative response factors. If you cannot meet the passive criteria for the response factor, then you may resort to the use of a linear model or so forth to analyze your target compounds of interest. So in general, we use these models for determining the concentration of the substance in an unknown sample by comparing the unknown sample to a set of known standards plotted to represent one of the models. 
by using these models, we can perceive the concentration of the target analyzed response in comparison. All three calibration models require two standard sources. The first source is used to create the initial calibration curve, while the second source confirms the accuracy of the calibration. And additionally, the lowest standard must be less than or equal to the lower level quantification. Lastly, when calibration points is quantified using the final calibration points, points at or below the lower limit of quantification must quant within 50% of the true value, while all other points must quant between 30% of the true value. When using a relative response factor calibration model, the relative response deviation or RSD of the average of the relative response factor must be 20% or better for 90%, at least 90% or more of the analyzed of interest. Both the linear and quadratic regression models have a required criteria value that they must meet per the method. Now for the linear, an R squared value of at least 0.99 must be met. For the quadratic, a value of a 0.995 or greater must be met. So verifications are used to monitor and evaluate the integrity of the system. And method 8260 includes requirements to assure that the quality of the instrument remains consistent throughout the analysis. Now, the methods use several terminologies that are important to become familiar with using QC recommended guidelines as a measurement. The first one is the method blanks prepared in the lab. By definition, the method blanks is exactly as it sounds. It uses, it's used to determine or demonstrate that the equipment and reagents are free of any contaminants or interference. And this is important because it can be used to track or compare where possible contaminants may arise in a comparison to trip blanks or field blanks or et cetera. A method blank is required to be less than one half of the lower limit of quantification or one tenth of the sample concentration. And since these blanks are never exposed to the field, it's easy to determine or identify common laboratory contaminants like acetone or methylene chloride or toluene. Then there's calibration check verifications or CCV for short. Made from the primary source, this check standard is used to verify the integrity of the initial calibration and should be prepared at a concentration near the midpoint of the curve. The calibration check is required once every 12 hours and at least 80% of those target analytes must have less than a 20% difference with no more than 30 seconds drift of retention time with respect to the internal standards. Now we depend on the CCV to ensure that the calibration curve is still able to detect the majority of our analytes with confident level of accuracy for our daily basis use. And this is how we monitor and justify our curve. Furthermore, to like evaluate accuracy, we use what is known as IDP or an initial demonstration of efficiency. In this series, we've it's required at least four replicate spikes into a clean matrix taken throughout the entire sample preparation and analysis. Now, this step is important because it gives us a green light that everything in our method is set up correctly and our samples recovery process is functioning proficiently. Next, there is the internal standards. Now, these are prepared in methanol, and the method recommends chlorobenzene, chlorobenzene D5, and 1,4-dichlorobenzene D4. Internal standards are unambiguous in nature and are used along with surrogates in a consistent amount to determine other analyzed concentration using their response factors. 
it's really difficult to confuse these target compounds with other analytes as these compounds aren't compounds that occur naturally in environmental laboratories. This eliminates confusion for co-elution or background interference. And the internal standards response must measure between 50 to 200% of the related midpoint initial calibration for the internal standard. The surrogate recovery requirement is plus minus 30%, I believe. Then there is a lower limit of quantification, the LLOQ for short. It's defined as the lowest concentration in which the target analyze can be measured reliably and confidently. The requirements are that the LLOQ is greater or equal to the lowest calibration point and verifications can be half to twice that of the selected amount. The recovery must measure within plus or minus 20%. Per your method, it's important to note the limit of how low your hardware can measure with confidence so that you can support the reporting range of your lower limit with proof. And to monitor the, the integrity of the sample's accuracy and precision throughout the schedule analysis of the method, the method includes laboratory control samples. The method requires one laboratory control sample every 20 samples. Each control sample needs to meet the calibration check verification criteria mentioned earlier. Similarly to CCV, we depend on laboratory control spikes as a verification method to demonstrate that the hardware is reporting values within our expectation as we continue our sample throughput. And lastly, there's metric spikes and matrix spikes duplicates. They are used to observe that the matrix effect per the method constraints and parameters. As some matrices are more difficult to remove volatile organic compounds in comparison to other submatrices, a compound that may easily fall out of water, per se, or water matrix, may not as easily fall out in a soil matrix, such as chloride, because the soil is a higher sorbent affinity. The method requires one matrix spikes and one matrix spike duplicate per batch of 20 samples prepared from the same source as the initial calibration. That was a lot of good information. Um, yeah. <laughs> so let's move and talk about the equipment parameters and then personal tick observations. Yeah. So um, every GCM mass spec purge and trap auto sampler condition is different. So although there are general for windows or recommended parameters due to the different various laboratory condition and hardware environment, one may still need or face a need to optimize their own parameters per their targeted compounds of interest for their person trap and GCMS. For my analysis, the conditions were kept the same in both experiments with the exception of the carrot gas, comparing the effect of hydrogen and helium. Specific to hydrogen, you may notice like some shorter retention times or retention time shifts, especially for gas compounds. You may also see some peak splitting and or cool looting. And lastly, you can expect to see some dehydrogenation and sensitivity reduction for reactive compounds. So for the first four minutes, I held a constant oven program temperature for four minutes. Under these parameters, this gave my gases enough time to separate with no co-elution. However, with a quick comparison though, I noticed the hydrogen has slightly shorter retention times and lower responses. This was particularly the case for chloroethane. I also received some better separation for co-eluted compounds such as methylene chloride and acetone, as well as diisopropyl ether and my 1,1 dichloroethane when using hydrogen. 
In the next four minutes of my tick, I noticed the separation of tetrachloroethylene and trans-1,3-dichloropropane when using hydrogen. When using helium, I used some, saw some coelution, and similarly with benzene and methylchloronitrile, I saw a better separation than when using helium. However, I saw some coelution with pentafluorobenzene and 1,2-dichloroethane in hydrogen and better separation with helium. In the last two minutes, I saw some splitting with my p-isopropyl toluene and my 1,3-dichlorobenzene when using hydrogen, whereas I noticed coelution with helium. So not completely separated, but some coelution. But overall, similar retention time responses and peak shape. When comparing a 20 PPB sample in water versus a soil via hydrogen, I also observed some similar responses and retention time. So the soil sample had a slightly higher response because of the heating method and parameters used during the soil method, but still great uh, peak shapes and great retention times. I would like to recommend still taking a look back at my webinar, though, to see some real-world examples of the ticks that I was just highlighting. And you can see the parameters that I also use for the Persian trap. You can also find them there as well. Super. Okay. Well, we definitely, as we mentioned before, that, that will be linked in the description. Um, so why is hydrogen adapted as an alternative carrier gas? Well, regardless of your choice of carrier gas, the purpose is always to get the best separations and a response in the shortest amount of time. And hydrogen is cost-effective and has an abundant resource, making it a great alternative to use as a carrier gas. Is it um, 4C and D, both of them, is hydrogen? Uh, no, D took on the adaptive use of hydrogen, while C was mainly a new revision for the 8260. Gotcha, okay. So what are some personal challenges and observations that you've faced using hydrogen? Well, like many um, lower or calibration curves, I've noticed some bias calculator range for my lower curve when using linear regression, uh, more so with using the hydrogen. I also noticed some dehydrogenation due to the hydrogen care gas, as I mentioned earlier. And then as well as the sensitivity reduction in comparison to helium, such as the chloroethene. What about some trends per functional groups? Well, taken from the method, the ketones, alcohol, and esters, are, or ethers, are also water-soluble compounds, will have low response. The elevated temperatures may be necessary during the purging to exhibit better performances, and you also will likely notice some lower responses for halogens due to the dehalogenation caused by hydrogen. Water and methanol each can cause some interference that will tend to co-loot with our chloromethane and our chloroethane. And then additionally, so we have the um, aldehydes are known to have poor stability. So while acetates are known to have difficulties with reproducibility, you also may exhibit different responses, recoverability, and stability when observing those compounds. Do you have any tips for methods and conditions? Um, mainly safety first. Always check for leaks as gas is more prone to leak. Um, when you're configuring for your GC, common mistake, always make sure to check that your hydrogen is uh, or your gas flow is ensured to have proper flow for hydrogen. And slower flow rates and lower split ratios are good to help to reduce protonation and increase sensitivity. 
Well, this has been really informative, Jeremiah, and I appreciate all of this information. Um, it's all we have time for today, so I hope our listeners enjoyed the podcast and learned some more so well. about the API methods 8260C and D. So thank you for your time and for sharing this topic with us. Thank you, Bessie, as well for your time. I hope everyone was able to enjoy Thanks for listening to the Tax Tech Talk podcast. For more information about our products and the solutions we offer, please visit www.teledyneacs.com. If you like this podcast, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're hearing this show. That way you'll never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time.